Do you watch the people in your organization and ever wonder why some of them are so engaged in their work and why others seem to just go through the motions? Or maybe you've experienced a just going through the motions season yourself. Part of the reason why is because you've lost some of your essential self and the opposite of your essence is ego. Don't worry though, you're still in there. You've been trained for years to act, talk, walk, and be a certain way, especially at work. The Enneagram Typology Tool can help you and your teams rediscover who they were before crappy workplace culture got a hold of them. If you want to change your culture through your people, this podcast is for you. We'll dive in deep on the Enneagram and we'll get way past just talking about numbers. Leaders will tell their stories of how the Enneagram has transformed them both professionally and personally. You may have some level of self-awareness now, but let's turn it into self-wisdom and let's improve our ability to relate to people that move through the world in a different way than we do. If you know your core number or you are still exploring, this podcast is for you. Together, we can change our organizations and our world one person at a time. today is Rachel Randolph and she has her own company called Spec Coaching. She's also written a guidebook called Keep the Conversation Going. She has done her work and that's why I was so drawn to her and why I asked her to be a guest on the podcast. She is an Enneagram 4 and I really wanted to bring on a powerful Enneagram 4 that has done their work because I think 4s can get a little bit of a... Um, people can, can misconceive them or they can um, really fall into the stereotypical average four. Rachel is not that. So she has done a lot of work in order to understand herself and build real self-awareness for her so she can give that to clients. So she is a real powerhouse four, and I wanted the audience to see that fours bring so much to our world and they can be true leaders and be real powerful people. So without further ado, um, all the links to Rachel's work will be in the show notes. So please check her out. She's got a great Instagram handle. Um, and so please follow her and check out her work. Um, but yeah, here is Rachel Randolph. I actually typed as a two um, a couple years ago. And so obviously I dive bombed into how I'm a two. I just loved it. And I was... Um, I love to volunteer. I love to help my friends. I love all that stuff. And um, so it, it made sense. And that's how I was originally exposed to it. A couple years later, or present day, I left that relationship and I took the test again. And obviously a little bit more introversion and introspection came into my life throughout that time too. And I typed as a four and I read the four profile and I was like, this is me. And I wish that I had done a little bit more digging into the other types before or in general, because I spent so much time on two, I never even explored the other types to see what else was going on, which might actually have led to me to be a four in the first, like, I am this, that's all I need to worry about. (laughs) But um, had I read the other types, I might have had an inkling that I was a four, um, as I matured and grew and personally developed. Um, So yeah, that was two years ago. And then this year, present day, I type as a four. 
Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't know the second part of the question. No, that's okay. So thank you for bringing that up. I actually had a very similar experience. So I, I tested as a three when I first took it, not knowing much about it. And so I read the three and I was like, well, that person sounds awesome. <laughs> like this is, I don't, I don't understand what the problem is here. And so I kind of just threw it in the drawer like I did with lots of other personality assessments and tests. And so then it just kept like, it kept coming up. Like I could not go anywhere without somebody talking about this thing. And I was like, all right, fine. I will dig a little bit deeper. So I dedicated time to being like, I am going to really dive into this thing. And so I still like, still thought I was a three. I started reading about all the other types. I spent at least a year like deep diving when I realized that I was a nine. Nines tend to fall asleep to themselves more than any type. But when I discovered that it was like, oh my gosh, now this is the picture of my internal world. This is describing my internal world to a T. And so the blessing with that was that I got to explore all the types. So I created this instant compassion for other people. You know, you read through these and it's like, oh my gosh, that's not my type. I don't really get that, but that sounds really hard. (laughs) So that was a really great um, experience for me. And I, and um, I always tell, you know, clients and listeners that tests are not the best way to measure our internal world. Mm -hmm. So um, some other tests are behavior-based. Those are a little easier to evaluate through a test but it's really not the best way to, to um, find your type. I always ask people to explore all the types. Um, not everybody listens, but they eventually get there usually if they keep, you know, keep kind of moving forward. So I would have definitely found that helpful to do more exploring. But once I typed as a two, the first go around, I was like, yeah. well, there we are. Well, and what people miss is you look different in stress and growth. So the type four actually does look like an average to unhealthy type two in stress. So it makes a lot of sense. Same for me. So the nine looks like a three in growth. So there were lots of things that made some sense with the three. And so with that connection point, then it was like, oh, now that all makes sense. Like when I am on, I I do look a lot like a three. You know, I can be a really high achiever, high, high performer for sure. So and um, so, yeah. in the same way for four being a two, I was stressed out that whole time and in that relationship. And so it didn't even occur to me to explore other types. And then out of it, I'm in the happiest that I've ever been. And I'm actually t- like my strength is a one. So that's where like things are being produced and executed without much effort or I'm putting more effort into details and I'm more healthy, but I was a four. Yes. Yeah. So the four for people that are unaware is um, called the individualist. Sometimes also called the creative. There's a couple different names for each of the types of they're just depending on teachers, but I'm curious, Rachel, from your perspective. So you discovered you were a four, you felt like I have finally been seen. Someone actually understands me. Um, What, what have you done both personally and professionally with that information to practically apply it to your life? What improvements have you been able to make or even just discoveries? Sometimes, sometimes it's just, we got to sit with the hard stuff where it's like, Oh man, that stings, but I got to sit with this for a little bit before I can figure out what to do with it. So how have you applied it to your life? So as I read more about the four and the introspection and the internal musings of a four and, and discovery, things live inward for me. And I really leaned into that and it made the work that I was doing, which is as a communication coach, um, it made the work that I was doing come full circle for me because I was finally able to, I was teaching that, but I wasn't necessarily leaning into how that worked for me. And so when I 
started doing more research or listening to podcasts about the four and how um, they spend a lot of time searching but never really reaching, I put energy into what it looked like to reach. Like, what does this look like to lean into my inner world and darker sides and shadow and introspect and really do some digging and then come out the other side with it because that's what I want to teach people how to do. So it, it ended up becoming um, really in, in to, integral for my work. And that's how I started, I guess, making it more important or a priority to learn about the four, but not just learn about it, but implement it into my life. If being a four means this, what are my action items? So if I have a summer home at the edge of my demise, how do I make sure that I come back and like lead people there so they can make their own discoveries and then bring them back so they can implement and integrate those learnings into their life. So it, it kind of like did a direct circle or feed into my work. Um, and that's how it became really important to do more research and learn more about how being a four shapes me and how I can be more healthy and helpful as a four um, to sit with people in those darker times that we really need to sit with. My, I did it myself, but then come back and talk about it. Say, this is what it looks like before, during, and after facing some of those shadowy sides and then going back there all the time because I did it myself anyways, as a four naturally. Um, yeah, so being able to go back and forth between that shadow internal world and some of the not so pretty parts of a personality and come back and tell the tale and lead others, be like a tour guide, um, just sorting some of that stuff out. Yeah. Well, I always say the Enneagram is kind of like a grief journey. If you haven't gone through all the stages of grief, you probably haven't done all the work that there is to do. And so I think you're right. I think it's almost like a death and a rebirth. And then you come back and you, yeah, you've learned so much and now you can give that to other people. And fours have just such a great ability to sit in the dark. They are usually okay with it. Um, and sitting with other people that are in dark spaces, that's not typically something that's very uncomfortable for them. Many of the other types do not do that well. So, so it's a real gift. And I think as we move towards uh, more humanity, especially in the workplace, we need more leaders that can be a true empath and can sit with their people and be able to understand what they're going through, but also not totally absorb it and have, have it consume them. Right. And so that's what happens to the rest of us. We get consumed by all of this, you know, it's like, Oh my gosh, that was a lot of heavy information. So yeah. And they are, it is heavy, but I, I'm not sure. I think something about the four that I've researched or that I came across that was really important to me was that like the main caretaker would be absent or is usually absent in a forest life. And that's absolutely true for me. And I think that darkness and abandonment happening so young made me really accustomed to heavy things being lifted on my own. And it's not, I would even, I don't even call myself an empathetic person. Like empathy is something that I do. It's not like, it's not a definitive thing that I like my checklist of personality traits that are just like, it's an, it's a verb. I am empathetic. I am empathizing with someone. Um, just like being vulnerable is a verb. I'm being vulnerable with you. I'm expressing myself and shifting that perspective, um, has been really helpful because then I can do it for myself, like facing the abandonment searching, like a searching, searching. Okay, fine. It's never going to stop. 
being vulnerable. Okay, it's never going to stop. These things are verbs. And um, I think that being a four is that way too for me. I'm being a four right now. I'm being a one. I'm a strength perfectionist. I'm being, um, what's the, I'm being a five. I'm being my wing. Like there are like weird, it's always just be yourself. And I'm like, that's never an accomplishment that can be had. It's, it's a verb. Um, and so viewing it that way has been helpful to guide people that way too. As in like, there's not something that they should ever be getting to. It's, it's an integral, it's integrated, it's implemented, it's things like that. Yeah. No, I think that's a really great point. And I think it never stops. So it's just a constant process. I'll be doing this till I die for sure. You know, where I'm constantly learning and, and understanding myself in a better and different way. So I, yeah, I love that. What do you think for a type four is, or how do you think they're most uh, misconceived? Or what do you think, like, what do you think you hear about fours where you're like, oh, that's not always me. I don't get that. Maybe the part about, I don't want to say like, I am dark and mysterious, <laughs> but that they're dark and mysterious and maybe unapproachable. Um, yeah, it can be that somebody that's like, okay with that has this kind of, for me, I feel I have this inherent and then also other fours that I've met have this inherent ability to go there and go really deep and I think that might throw or be scary to other people who can't. And I think that energy for a four is just right up in front. The fours that I know are immediately capable of listening to somebody cry. And it is like home for us rather than something uncomfortable. So like you were saying before about it being uncomfortable for certain people where that's actually very, very comfortable for fours. But I think that that kind of energy um, and kind of automatic vulnerability or our perception as a society of vulnerability might throw people off. And um, yeah, I would say it throws them off. At least that's some of the feedback that I get that I'm, my ability to go into the dark and shadowy places and not be full blown depressed and unfunctional throws doesn't make sense to people. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of wah makes sense. When I hear a lot of fours say like, we're not all sad and depressed and crying all the time, you know, like they say that all the time or we're not all um, particularly gifted artists in the traditional sense of uh, like artistic, you know? So it's like, well, I, but like, I'll say that to a potential four and they'll say, um, well, I'm not good at drawing. And I'm like, no, 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 no. There are so many different ways that we can express ourselves. I mean, you wrote an ebook through COVID, which is lovely, by the way. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. So um, they tend to be great writers, musicians. I mean, there's all different ways to express ourselves. I think it's just about the expression of something that is unique to you, for sure. So um, before we jumped on, you talked a little bit about how you've learned to um, grow into your five wing and how you've learned to tap on that to better kind of balance out your type. I would love to have you talk through that a little bit because I think people miss that. I think they think Oh, I'm stuck with this number. Here I am stuck in this box, but there's so much opportunity to really, you know, pivot and grow around the Enneagram. And we miss that because we get so honed in on this number that we are. Yeah. Um, so talk about how you've used that five wing. 
So the five wing, like I was telling you before, well, so I recently discovered that the four wing five um, are the ones that are most separated because there's that basically a cavern between them from the emotional and intellectual side. And I, when I'm in a time of stress or something's happening to me, I definitely get stuck in that cavern between I'm only emotions. I am all for, I am all depth and introversion and I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm just very dark. And I don't always reach up and lean into my five and use my logic and intellect to process the feelings that I'm feeling through four. And this is something, something like you just said, an Enneagram is not just one number. We are all different, various pieces of the Enneagram, at least I believe. So I am my one, I am my three, I am my two, I am my four, I am five. Um, I have a little bit of eight in me. I took a test recently that showed that I'm kind of an eight. And I like that because it gives me different tools. It gives me options into being a more well-rounded human being, not just a well-rounded four. And so, yeah, so leaning into my intellect and logic to process out some of those emotions that might not make sense right away or in the moment that I'm feeling them. Yeah. Because during an interest, like during a deep dive and I'm like sitting here journaling, um, it's really hard to use logic for any kind of emotions, for conversations that are difficult, for being triggered. I was triggered recently and I was spiraling about it and I couldn't, I can't always grasp onto my five wing for that use, but I try and pause. This is a practice that I have now is like, if I'm feeling very forward, very in my emotions and very spirally, very dark, I'll grab onto my five and you're like, what is this productive? Is this useful? Uh, is this the best way to express what's happening right now? And I'll use my introspection, but I'll combine it with intellect. Like, well, this isn't very skillful. And I don't really like that. And that's such a healthy way to use the Enneagram. I couldn't agree more that we have to be intentional. Once we know this information, we have to be very intentional about where we're going to plug it into our lives and how we're going to turn it on. I'm a nine with a pretty hefty eight wing, um, but I used to be more of a nine with a one wing. Um, and so I think that was where I just, first half of life is sort of where I went. And then when I realized in leadership that I was going to have to challenge people, I was going to have to be more assertive. I started just gradually turning that up a bit and then it became really natural to me. Yeah. So I don't always look like the typical nine. People are like, no, you're very assertive. I'm like, no, I've, I, that's been intentional for me to do um, and to grow into that. And now it's, it's easier because I've been practicing it for a long time. So yeah, I love that you mentioned the distance between the five and the four. Cause I just recently learned this too. Mm -hmm. and it's just something I never thought about. So what she's talking about is the way that the diagram is drawn the five and the four have the most distance between them. There truly is this gap just based on how it's drawn. Um, and it makes a lot of sense too, when you think about the centers of intelligence, like you as a four, you're in this feeling center. And so that is kind of where you're at. And so when you can get into the thinking center, which is where the fives live, that is growth for you. When we can integrate around those centers of intelligence, that's always going to be growth for us. Yeah. I personally have to work a lot on the, uh, the feeling center of intelligence. So that has been my 
where my, my journey and where I've really put a lot of effort in over the last couple of years. And it's made a huge difference. So, you know, I think it's just all about finding that balance within that type and just, yeah, being very intentional about it. Like I will even think in my head, I need to flip on my eight wing right now, you know, or I need to flip on my one ring, one wing right now, you know? So it's, yeah, I think, I think that's how it can really be used to its full power for sure. Yeah. I was just going to say, or when you're feeling one particular way, but you can use your, you don't have all the answers, but you can go research or I listen to a podcast to explain what was happening to me more and using the resources that are available to me. Once I learned I was a four, that wasn't it. I wasn't leaning all into my four. I was like, well, what are the other parts? What am I going to do now that I know what this is and I'm starting to see it show up in my life? How can I act intentionally through it and use the resources that have been around that I didn't know about like you and your, your podcast and just your webpage in, in the first place and other friends um, perspectives on those things. It, it's, there's no shortage of resources, right? And it's what works for you. And I've found that different things work in different times. So like with the four, if I'm super in my emotions, listening to a podcast explaining to me how a four wing five, can get out of being so emotional um, if it's not helpful or productive or maybe just taking on full on how a five operates and um, leaning into that without it being even about me or I can like kind of psych myself out. It's all about your ability to, to be self-aware at the end of the day and trust that like there's, what am I using the internet for? <laughs> like at the end of the day, like, Am I using my, am I using my resources? Am I using the internet? Am I using my friends who know more than me like you to, and I, I think that I've asked you a bunch of times, like what it means to be a four. And I have my friend Wesley who I'm like, how's my favorite four doing today? Or I need it. I need you to help me talk me out of this thing. Like really using it to make me more well-rounded, which is how we should be using any of those things. Right. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And it's what I love about the Enneagram because it is dynamic. It's set up that way. It's, it's meant to be that way. I think in kind of the mainstream um, meme world, we've, we've reinforced some of the putting people in this box and really staying there. And that's just our ego, you know? So it's like, we have to, we have to dismantle this ego that we've created and that's created by us. You know, we create that um, and we can dismantle it and we can come out the other side much stronger. Um, doesn't mean that you still won't fall into some of those traps. I certainly still fall into some of the traps that I thought I'd overcome. It's just that I can get out of the the trap a lot faster, you know? So now it's like, Oh, wait a minute. I can call myself on my own crap. I can get out of this. I know how to do it because I've done it before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's hands down. I think that's why it's, it's the most powerful, um, you know, personality typology out there when people fully understand it. I think that's the, the yeah. And it's understanding it as a tool. Would you agree with that? It's like, yes, it's, yeah, it's not something that has to be, yeah. And it's not one, it's not always absolutely correct. So if you read something and you think that's not me, so it must all be wrong or, you know, that doesn't resonate for me, sit with it for a little bit. I did not resonate with the whole sloth of the nine thing. Like that is our deadly sin. And I'm like, no, I get a lot done. I am super busy. But what I discovered is that I am emotionally slothy. So I am a sloth when it comes to emotions. And that's when I knew I had to put more effort into that. I had to learn to name my emotions, learn to manage those, not ignore them because that's what I'd done before. Just ignore them. I still had all those emotions. I just bypassed them. And that was not serving me very well. So 
Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree too. I think it's, I think it's a tool, but I don't think that we should get so far into it um, that we identify with it or the number um, because we really have to separate those two things. Yeah, I totally agree. At least that's how I've, like, I did that when I was a two, I read all the two stuff. I leaned on being a two. I used it as an excuse a little bit. I, um, would take compatibility tests. So when me and this fellow were dating and I would just say, well, you're like this and I'm like that and you need to do this about it. Um, and we're not compatible in this way because of you. Like I would almost like victimize myself and villainize somebody else that yes. wasn't following how they should treat me as a two. And once I realized that I was a four and it felt more like home there, I, don't, I haven't done that. That's not what I do. I use it as a tool. It's a very pragmatic approach to um, it as a personality that I have yeah. aspects of my personality. Well, I say all the time, you know, don't use it as a weapon, but I use it as a weapon up front. Like I think when we get excited about things and we learn a little bit, we can misuse them. And so yeah. now knowing what I know, I'm, I'm in the same boat where it's like, gosh, I would never use that as a weapon towards someone else or make assumptions just based on that information. Um, I think it can be a great conversation with couples and even with, um, you know, I do a lot of work just in the corporate world with teams, you know, where they can learn more about themselves and about their teammates. Um, But I always caution them, please don't use this as a weapon. Don't assume that the four in the room wants to hear your sob story every day. That may not be true. Yeah. Um, and so you really need to still be intentional about reading um, the reactions of other people towards you um, and really being being more self-aware and building that self-wisdom, you know, so not just the awareness, but like, what are you going to do with it so, so you can do better? And I love what you do because you help people communicate better. And I personally think that's probably our, our biggest challenge in the world today, whether it be personal lives, professional lives. I think that we all struggle with, with communication and we all struggle with listening. So those are two things that when I was just going through your book, I was like, Oh my gosh, yes. Um, and I don't do them um, perfectly either. And so it's something that I'm always working on too, is how can I listen better? How can I communicate in a more effective way? Um, because you know, there probably wouldn't be any world wars if we actually communicated, you know? So yeah. It's such a complicated thing. What, what is communication? People in the communication field don't even fully have an agreed upon definition of it. The one that I've stuck with is uh, a transference of one internal world to another internal world. Oh, I love that. I like that too. It's just very, like, very simple. Um, It's not what they agree on um, as communication theology um, philosophers, but I stuck with that one as a way of teaching the importance, it's still important whether that's what they agree on or not as these communication experts, it's still a good definition to bounce off. And that is where understanding yourself and introspection, which is where my company was born out of, I was like, well, if I want to enjoy my life and my relationships and my communication, I'm going to need to figure out why I don't. What's going on here? Uh, What have I done in the past and use reflection rather than beating myself up over a version of myself that didn't know any better. It's little differentiations that have come through learning the Enneagram or more about my personality that I'm like, okay, well, if I've been this way before, I can change. The future, um, the past does not equal the future. 
just certain little things picked up along the way that all fit into how we express ourselves through language. And language is like the last step in a step of processing that happens when an external event happens. There's meaning and foundation and beliefs. And if you don't understand that, A, that's how that works, and B, what those things are, you're going from zero to 60 without much information on yourself. Maybe you think that you do or society doesn't put an emphasis on knowing yourself like that. It's a little bit of a paradox. Like we do just be yourself is the, this mantra, but the work that that takes to be yourself is like, Oh my God. And it includes tools like the Enneagram to um, grasp at what somebody's internal makeup looks like and then implementing tools on how they're going to express that to the world. And so that's where I use the Enneagram the most to understanding myself and then teaching others to do that through my company. Yeah. Well, and even our Enneagram number, I I think that people think that that is who they are and it's not. So um, like we were, you know, we're talking about it's ego. I mean, it really is our ego and we've created all these little strategies along the way that we believe will protect us. And so we put them into place and we have to be able to knock some of those down to really get to who we are. And so, you know, I talk some about the soul child theory and the growth point. So Mm -hmm. uh, for example, your, your growth number um, is really who you are inside. It's like this little child that's just like ready to get out. And it's, that made sense for me. So I, I really think I was a three as a small child, but the feeling or sense of uh, failure that I might fail at something was so intense that I just checked out. So I wasn't going to try the hard stuff because if I did that, I might fail at it. And so that, that really was a theme for my life for a long time. So now when I can challenge myself to do the hard stuff, that really is growth to me. I feel, that feels very like, like what I should be doing, not always comfortable. That's not the right word, but what I should be doing to grow and to kind of awaken that inner child that's there. So I'm curious your thoughts on that. Do you feel like there's a little, little tiny one hanging out inside? I, I would have to do a little bit more reflection on that. Yeah. Me. I need to think about that. <laughs> I need to ask myself some introspective questions. But um, I think I asked why a lot when I was younger. And as a, I'm not sure if that would be a quality of a one, but in getting to the essence of trying to figure things out so I could make and create things that kind of makes sense. And then when I'm the strongest, like executing the ebook, that was all my perfectionist coming in. Is it good enough? Is that clear enough? Does it flow? I asked my friends over and over again, does this, does this sentence make sense here or should I take it out? And if it didn't make sense, I took it out and I didn't spend a lot of time working on like whether it made sense or not. If my inner, inner, I don't know, my inner knowing said that it didn't make sense, I went, I was like, I'm not going to fuss with that anymore. I'm going to make what makes sense make sense. And if it doesn't make sense, it might come back full. And sometimes it showed up later in the book um, naturally. So that's all to say, yes, I think that I'm happiest and healthiest as a one. And I don't think that that was encouraged at all when I was younger. There was no space for it. And I think for 
I don't know. Does a one or does a um, does an enneagram as a child turn into the enneagram that that person is as an adult? Yeah, that's a great. I've always been yeah. a four. Yeah. yeah, there's people that argue back and forth around this. So similar to the word communication and not having any real mm-hmm. definition for it. Um, that's that was my personal experience, and you know, a lot of people say that you land on your personality at the age of five ish. Other people will say at like twelve months. You're already, you're, you already have this personality. Wow. Yeah. And so that, that's just not been my experience as, as I apply it to my own life, but I don't pretend to be um, a psychologist or anybody that studies this in depth. <laughs> it's just been my experience. So, and when I read the soul child and they share that with clients, they will usually say, oh my gosh, that is absolutely true for me. You know, there is this little achiever living inside of me that's just waiting to get out. And I used to use the analogy when I first hired my own coach that I had a pilot light lit, but she poured gasoline on it. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, boom, I was ready to roll and nothing was going to stop me. And I really think that that was my, my three soul child awakening. So that is, that is my personal take on it. And there are other people that would agree with that, but there are many people that would not. So yeah, yeah. I think that analogy of the gasoline is how I feel when I discovered and read that I was a four incorporating that I'm a wing or a strength or growth one and a weakness or a, a stress two and a wing five. I think all of that came to fruition, but I think that I've been more, I've been a two maybe my whole life because I was forced to be of service and not myself. I had to be liked and um, seen, not heard useful. If I wasn't contributing, I was not useful those all thing, are all things that came out of stress, but from the age of like five and six, I remember always asking why and thinking really interesting thoughts. Like I asked this question once if Eve um, had her period at the age of like five, why would I be thinking about that <laughs> in that way? Like, why would I be shifting the perspective of what I was taught, you know, or not taught or what was left out? So I was looking at what was left out of the narrative. And that's a very four thing for me. So I think that was suppressed. And then the gasoline lit when I realized I was actually a four and not a volunteer monkey. (laughs) Yes. Well, and I think there's a lot of mistyping when it comes to women and twos and nines too. Um, But I think a lot of women test as two because society or culturally we're told that we need to be helpers. We need to be caretakers. We need to give everything we have to everyone else. And who cares if there's anything left, which yeah, is it's such a beautiful thing too. It's not even in any, like, that's not even the worst. Those aren't terrible things to be no. world and held up. And the Mr. Rogers quote, like I like had that on my key, like yeah. desktop about <laughs> look for the helpers in life. And I was like, that's me. But that was probably my four being like, that's me. Like, and having some pride about a uniqueness because I was something called out that was good for the world. Um, There's like little, little clues that have been given to me over the years about. Well, healthy twos, they are lovely people. They know how to set boundaries. It's the average to unhealthy of any number that it's like, okay, that's, that's where we run into trouble. If if any of these numbers are in health, they're lovely people. You know, it's, it's, Yeah. yeah. And I get asked the question, like, you know, you were researching, I'm dating somebody what are the pitfalls and how, you know, how are we not going to get along? Yeah. Um, and people ask me that all the time. So I had just had somebody say, I just started dating somebody uh, new. I'm a six. She's a one. Tell me what's going to go wrong. And I'm like, that's such a six question to ask. 
<laughs> like what could possibly go wrong? And I'm like, well, you know, if you both don't do your work independently and you don't, um, you know, jump in deep with not just Enneagram, but in general personal development, then there probably will be some challenges. I don't care which numbers you are. It doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> anybody not, and it's not even like, um, a jumping in deep, like I call this a paradox paralysis. Like, of course we know that we should be doing the work and there are resources and it's not verbin. a we're, I suppose this is the first time that there's so many generations and there isn't as much stigma on getting mental health checks and, um, as there was from just my dad's generation and he's 60. So, um, that being a case for why it hasn't happened yet and taking it a little bit easier on older generations for not doing this work is that they're having the resources completely novel to them and they wouldn't even know where to start. And then as much as I've grown up with this as being a resource um, in my adult years, I'm 29. So if I've been personally developing since 20, I'm personally developed most of my life or a good portion of my life where my parents haven't even developed at all or not even touched the ability to go in deep and figure out who their soul child is. My dad wouldn't even know what that means. (laughs) And um, just, I mean, giving people a break is also something that I advocate for is there's no shortage of resources, but knowing what to do is not the same as doing it and how difficult it is. And there, there isn't enough support when they're in the depths there's therapy and therapy will just like hang out there with them and talk about their pasts and blah 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 and super big advocate for therapy what i do and i think um coaches do in general is swim 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 okay there's the shore like swim 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 we're gonna go this way not just stay in the water with them like it's be in the depths and then get to shore learn what we need to do, use the resources to get us to a new place, a desired state. Yeah. Well, thanks for saying that. Just offering people grace. Um, when I first got a hold of this and learned so much and felt like I had all the answers to growth and I was going to just force it on everyone else and people just aren't always ready. And so I always just kind of look at them and think like, maybe they're not even interested in even looking at the Enneagram and they think it's like some sort of horoscope, you know, like they they have no interest and it used to kind of frustrate me. And now I'm like, they're just not ready and they may never be ready. And it's not my job to make them ready. And so taking a step back and, and helping the people that I truly could help and that were ready for that. And then just being there for, for those people, if there's a day or time that they, they want to, to reach out, then I'm there. So, Yeah. Being available is really important because the resources are there, but the, just having somebody to talk to. Yeah. The people that I work with just have no one to talk to about questions like these that they have rolling around in their heads. They've been, they've been exposed to it. Like we're in the social media age. You've been probably been exposed to personal development and self-help and Enneagram and personality tests and personal development and all that. Um, but it becomes paralyzing all the things that we should know because other now it's the thing to know and there's no one helping doing the work or giving them patience when they aren't ready or are close to being ready but can't afford it because for whatever reason they don't have any context to put a value system around because that might be a novel idea for them too there are so many things that i've 
have worked really hard to anything that I have an assumption about, I pick apart. Why would I even think that? Where am I getting the information that this, and this is really important for the conversations that we're having these days is like, where am I getting this information from? Is it mine? Is it something that I heard on the news? Is it from my childhood that has been ingrained? Um, did my dad say it last week? Did my dad say it 20 years ago? What has stuck? What sticks? How does something stick? It is all of those questions I think are really important because that's what we're showing up to our relationships with <laughs> anyways. So doesn't it serve us to know what we're working with? Oh yeah. Every time I've made assumptions, it's usually wrong. So <laughs> I, I love that. And I think when you talk about even just like natural bias, like I, I will pause and say, why did I think that? Like, I, I mean, I'm, I am a feminist. I love, I love women. I'm all about empowering women. And there was somebody that said something in our neighborhood and it was a while back. Um, and I thought, well, yeah, in my head, well, cause she's a stay at home mom. What else would she be doing? And I had to take a real, like, why did I think that? And I did trace it back to my family of origin. Yeah. Um, and it was actually me pushing back on what I think they were telling me, which they kind of, I got the message that I should be a stay at home mom. You should want to be with your kids all the time. You should be loving and nurturing. And that was not me. And so I was always pushing against that. And so like, of course, I'm going to judge this woman who's doing that thing that my parents say I should be doing, you know, or perceived that talking to my parents. Now, I actually don't think that's true, but I perceive that that's what, what I was supposed to do. Like what that's I should so do. Interesting. But yeah, it's like, a what? Like, why would I have that thought? And so I really had to take a, a step back and challenge that. And I have to catch it often. Like, it's not just that in particular. I like, there's all these things that pop in where I'm like, I, wait a minute. I don't think I believe that, but why did that thought come through my mind? We have like two to 3000 thoughts an hour. Like, not everything is going to go get past the, um, not the goalie isn't going to catch all of it. Some of that's going to slip by and it's being yep. able to observe that kind of non-judgmentally too is being like, okay, well that one slipped by. Like, where'd that come from? Like, yeah. That's how I imp interpret triggers. Um, I'm like, okay, I was triggered by this person. Where's that coming from? And like, why am I spiraling right now? And it got passed and then the trigger will elicit thoughts. And so then all those thoughts come flooding and it's like they rush the goalpost. I have so many analogies for this kind of stuff, but that one really works for me because it's how I think about that voice in my head and any, any type of thing like um, self doubt is something I'm exploring right now. And I'm like, perfectly natural like these things are perfectly normal anxiety depression everything comes with a level of awareness about the world and there are equal benefits to feeling terrible <laughs> I can feel incredible joy as well as tear incredible um, sadness and understanding that it's a balance it is a verb to be able to do that and look at both sides and look at self-doubt and say hey you're here to protect me what are you protecting me from? And use that intellect side and to my advantage and strengthen, um, not outsmart my doubt. Like that, that's me. Like the movie Inside Out. Like, oh my gosh, yes. That's really how it works. Yes. Yeah. Such yeah. an underrated movie. <laughs> a huge fan of like the control board. Like we're all on a treadmill of our lives and we're looking at the control board and we're just like, oh, I just don't know why it won't slow down. Yeah. You know, like our minds are the control board. <laughs> yes. Um, and then all the things that reinforce that and help are an understanding of ourselves to circle back to how the Enneagram is helpful. It's like the control board comes to more, um, you have more controls the more that we understand ourselves. Yeah.
Such great analogies. The thought work piece is so, so hard to teach. Um, and when people are first learning it, I know when I was first learning it, it's like, what? I'm supposed to catch my thoughts and challenge them? I don't understand. Yeah. Um, but for people that are just starting on it, I love to just have them set a timer for like two or three times a day and do it for a couple of weeks. And like, bing, the timer goes off and you write down everything you're thinking right now. And you're not going to catch some of the subconscious ones that get by the goalie for sure. Yeah. Uh, but let's catch the big ones. And then let's ask ourselves if that's the true thought or if there's a deeper thought behind that. So we'll often have like an initial thought that's external to us. Yeah. Um, more of a blame or victim mode. And then if we really dig in deep, there's usually something we're telling ourselves about ourselves that's painful. Mm-hmm. And that's what has a grip on us. So it's like, oh my gosh, when we can learn to do that, that's just a game changer. I mean, it's a total, total game and life changer when you can learn that. Yeah. I think the thing that's changed my life incorporating the Enneagram and and what I teach and anything else is I'm not a millionaire. I'm not, I don't, not in a relationship right now. I don't have really a Louis Vuitton shoes. I don't have like a bunch of fancy stuff, but my ability to look at those things and name them as societal pressures on me, but not actually what I would want or want now or want by a certain age I can look at those things from a different perspective and view and say, meh, I'm not worked up over not having this um, or not having this anymore, this relationship anymore. I'm not, not worked up over anything, really. It's a sense of peace and calm that I can lean on personality test that gave me this answer and I can resort again going back to my resources and saying like what I have a a whole bunch of things to lean on to reinforce that I'm okay and I know how to do this and I don't know a whole bunch about that and like I'd asked you like do I need to do some research and studying about the Enneagram so I like know how to talk about being a four and you said no just be a four and I'm like okay I don't need to be an expert about four to talk about being a four. Um, I feel perfectly comfortable. Because it's you. I mean, it is. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to talk about because you feel it so internally. Like, you, yeah, you just know. So, yeah. And that internal knowing can be applied to to everything, though. I know I don't need those kind of shoes. I know I don't need a million dollars by a certain age or at all. If that's like, what does that mean? Why is it? have an importance on, it's just the ability to pick apart any of those things and lean on myself um, comes from that self-awareness or self-work that I think a lot of people would benefit from being able to just be more self-referential and advocate for themselves. Um, When society, when they walk down the aisle, the makeup aisle at CVS, that used to get me. I used to walk out of CVS with another lipstick for no reason. I just wanted to look like the girl that was advertising the lipstick. Yeah. I would go home because you can't try them on there. And I would put it on and it didn't look like the girl in the ad. And I, <laughs> what is the point? This is cheap $8 lipstick. I don't look like her. I don't have, why am I so influenced by this that it makes me spend money and makes me spin my wheels? And just watching myself do some of those things less and less and less. And that's where I feel happiness, a verb. <laughs> comes from. Yeah. Being able I would to- even say like internal joy, you know, mm-hmm. like I always think of yeah, like there's like, like the, there's something internal that's happening when you feel that. So yeah. 
and it doesn't need to, it's not something vocalized or talked about or I'm not like going up to the cashier saying I didn't buy lipstick today because I'm so happy with myself <laughs> I don't yeah. need to like that's for I mean it's for me like yeah. my bank account and for me to look at that Maybelline commercial and be like wow what a beautiful woman and that's it yeah <laughs> oh I love that that's so great well you have certainly done your work so I love how much you've put in not even just with the Enneagram but just in general yeah. to to being the person that you are today I mean I can't even imagine what you do for the people that you work with being able to give somebody that is very healthy um, and is able to be vulnerable but you can tell you've got your stuff together and so I would imagine people are just drawn to you just because of that so I would love to hear a little bit more we mentioned the book a couple of times but I would love to hear a little bit more about who you work with who are your ideal clients um, and how people can find you yeah um, it's taken so much because introspective communication work knows social anxiety knows no demographic and takes no prisoners. It um it gets the best of us. And I experience social anxiety, which is how I feel equipped to talk about it is experiencing it, but I have a process that makes my life, my communication more fluid, organic, natural, and enjoyable, despite having depression and anxiety and um social anxiety. So my clients are all over the spectrum, men, women, usually from in their late twenties to early fifties have been um, clients and super smart people to your average. Everyone is super smart. And I'll say that because our brains are all the same. And I love talking about the brains and leveling the playing field. There are some brain things that are like schizophrenia. That is a brain thing that I don't know much about, but I know that it's not an average brain. Um, but our, our average brain, protein, fat, and water, and some neural connectways. And I really like leveling the playing field for my clients when they come to me, whoever they are. So if they're an attorney, they're around people who are really, really smart all day. And there's a lot of misogyny and a lot of alpha male Situate if a, a male um, attorney, um, I would be client. I would be coaching. Actually, was a client. I'll just talk about him like that. And he was around that and feeling insecure in the rest of his life because of this environment that he was in. And um, it helps. So my ideal client is somebody that is aware of a stress, a social anxiety happening in one area of their life. And they don't quite know how to get unstuck from that being the governing power over the rest of their lives, I might say. Oh, that's so good. And that's just a human problem. So I say that all the time when people say, what's your ideal client? I'm like, well, I solve a human problem. Like I awaken people yeah. <laughs> to crap that they're unaware of. And yeah, and then we take steps forward. So I loved your analogy with coaching is like, okay, that's great. Let's swim along, but let's come yeah. over to the so yeah. So yeah. somebody who wants to get to the shore, really. And yeah. so those are the people that I help the most. Um, that come to my meetup frequently are the, are the regulars that, um, and I had another client say the other day that he needs to value himself a bit more. And I said, okay, how'd you get to that? And he said, well, cause I don't, and I can see how that's leading me to be unhappy in all these areas of my life. Mm -hmm. And my clients will usually say that they need to do the work themselves. I'm just there to be available to ask them questions and provide resources 
and support when they understand that they need to do it themselves. I'm like, great. I am the biggest cheerleader for that. You do have to do this yourself. But rather than being another article or another YouTuber that you can't have a conversation with or another guru that you go to their convention and you're swept up in the thousands of other people doing the exact same thing, I'm the person you can turn to and say, this happened to me. What does this mean? Or, and I say, what do you think it means? And then they'll come up with some meanings to it because the meanings that they put on things are A, what they've already been doing and B, what they would need to change. Kind of like what we talked about in the beginning, like we're meaning making machines. That's all we do all day long. And that's the place to change how we see our lives and ourselves and the world really. Well, I think living in such a busy world and busy society, we just don't slow down enough. So for me sometimes, and I still have my own coach, I work with her often. It's just having an hour of quiet space where I actually get to articulate what the heck is wrong. Yes. Yeah. Cause we just don't always know when I first reached out to her four years ago, I'm like, something's off, but I don't know. I don't, couldn't tell you for a second what that was. So yeah. When people rattle off, I have, I have a coach or a therapist and she does brain spotting on me, which is where she just like makes her finger go. And it's a bit of hypnosis where I'll just have a stream of consciousness and solve all my own problems. Like I already knew how to do that, but something traumatic happened and I needed help. So I reached out and got some help and that's how she helped me. But it wasn't like, there's no advice that she could ever give me that would be for me. There's nothing she could say that I'd be like, oh my gosh, how did you know? <laughs> like, it's never been like that. Anytime that I come up with things myself, it's like that. I'm like, how did you, oh, oh, Rachel, at it again, solving my own problems. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so with you. I, and I will pay these people all day long to hold their finger up in front of my face and do brain oh, awesome. and call me on my thoughts and say, do you want to know what I think? And then they tell me the crap that I just spewed out and I'm like, oh my gosh. So yeah, that's interesting. I wasn't thinking about it that way. Maybe I'm the selfish one in this situation. Huh? Fascinating. So yeah. It is the most empowering thing to have somebody sit with you. We are all so capable of healing each other. It's incredible. And it's, it's this like, that's why I think social interaction and, and connecting over anything like the zoom, or I know that's a pandemic and people aren't able to meet up, but also having the ability to say, Hey, can we have coffee or lunch and just chat? That is so healing. And we, we forget about it and think and isolate and not reach out to our neighbors and not expand our, what we think is available to us or what our options are. Um, people that I coach don't even think that they can interact with um, like a cashier and have a conversation with them. They say, I never thought about it like that. And I was like, what do you mean? You don't think that you could like practice asking people how their day was when you're grocery shopping. And it's just, just shows this fear that we have about strangers or interacting with people or not getting it right the first time or making every connection or every interaction like a full-blown, amazing, soul-quenching connection. Like just the fact that we can connect in the first place with our consciousness and words and energies is amazing in and of itself. And there's a lot of, um, depending on what angle social anxiety comes from, because sometimes there's this like, every interaction needs to be amazing. And so I'm not going to say anything. 
or I'm not going to say anything interesting, so I'm not going to say anything. There are just so many different facets or um, sources of social anxiety, which is why I could never tell anybody, well, your social anxiety comes from here, and so here's the solution for it. Of course. I need to be able to help them draw it out for themselves that that's how they think about it and how they think they should solve it. That's how it sticks. So I always tell clients, like, I can't tell you what to do, but I'm going to help you discover your own, um, you know, solutions to your problems. I'll quiet the noise. I'll be right alongside you. Um, But it's not going to stick if I just tell you, hey, guess what? Listen to this TED Talk. Yeah. I'll be fixed by, by, by the end of this 12 minutes. You'll be, you'll be great. And sometimes I give clients references where I'm like, this made me think differently about it, but it's, it's certainly not the thing that's going to fix them. It's just not. So yeah. Yeah. They all have to be, it's not even about being their heroes or anything like that. It's like, just be an advocate for yourself. And by being an advocate and valuing yourself, you'll understand how complicated you are. And then understanding just the bare minimum of how complicated you are will allow you to be empathetic naturally with other people. Empathy is so natural. It lives in our like prefrontal cortex in the supramarginal gyrus of our brains. Like it's there for our taking and um, just that basic understanding and then practicing executing it. And it becomes very fundamental um, and organic and natural. And that's what I teach to, to like communication, to communicate organically, you have to know what's going on. That's organic (laughs) to you. It all, it all is interconnected. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Well, I love what you do. And of course I could talk to you forever. I always like, it's funny that I even joked about like, Oh, well, let's try to do 30 minutes. Like, come on, get real. I've been Uh, looking at the time. Like I'm just, we could go for another like three hours probably. Um, but yeah, I appreciate your perspective and you, you do similar work to me, but I always, every time I talk to you, you say something where I'm like, Oh, I've got to, I got to check that out. I get that. I get that. That makes a lot of sense to me. So I love these conversations. We will put in the show notes some links um, so you can get a hold of Rachel if what she said resonates with you. Um, and check out her her ebook. It's awesome. Um, and you can follow her on Instagram. It's actually how we mostly communicate is through Instagram. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, her, her ebook is right there and you can uh, have a direct link to it. So we will put all those links in the show notes and uh, everybody have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much, Rachel. Rachel.